The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Good evening. Man, it is an absolute joy to be with you guys tonight. Uh, my bride of over 20 years uh, is uh, at a football game. Uh, I made a vow on July 31st, 1999 that ministry would never, ever come before my family. And I've kept that vow for over 20 years. And, uh, and so if I am not present when something significant is happening in the life of our family, we make that decision together. When my boys got old enough, they're used to me traveling around the world and being gone when they were little. And so in the fall, when we started talking about being gone on senior night, that one of us would be there and one of us wouldn't be there. And, and the boys, 18, 16, and 14, said, you better go. And so uh, my wife is there. She'll be driving up here in just a little bit after we finish knocking off Gordon Central and sitting ourselves nicely in the GHSA Class 2A state playoffs. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, and uh, so I asked my 18-year-old at senior night, I said, you know, I'm, I'm not there to stand with you. Mama's standing with you. And it still makes me feel a little funny. So I ain't going to lie to you. I'm a little antsy, like, you're failing, Dad. But I know that's not true. Uh, so I said, hey, buddy, um, I'm not there, I'm here, so is there anything you want me to say to you tonight since I'm not where you are? And he said, absolutely. So he texted me on the way up, and, and here's Gabriel Jolly's word to you. You best pay attention. And so from Rome, Georgia, the 18-year-old said you best pay attention. So, so let's, let's <laughs> yeah, that's up to you, but that's what Gabe says, so. Anyway, uh, my wife will be up, and, and you'll have some time uh, uh, with us, and we're really excited uh, to be here and spend time with you. I'm really excited for John and Spicy. These guys are a blessing, and we took away things uh, that were just good for us this week. So thank you guys for blessing us uh, last weekend, and it was a joy for us to, to learn from you. Um, Jennifer and I, back at the beginning of football season, were traveling down to Carrollton, Georgia, for our first scrimmage. It didn't count, and so a little warm-up. Uh, before the season, and, and on the way, we're arguing, right? Imagine that, a uh, married couple arguing. And so we're having a spat. I don't even remember what it was about, but we're arguing about something. And as happens when we make fools of ourselves, husbands, uh, or we win, right? We win because we're good at winning but really losing. Uh, my wife was quiet for a few moments, and she spurted out in just you know a few moments after I placed the dagger in for the win. She said, uh, you know what, we shouldn't be any part of any marriage conference ever. And I was like, well, <laughs> yes, ma'am. And I had a few moments to think about it, and after I apologized for winning, um, <laughs> I responded, by, by saying that, in fact, actually, because we can argue and because we've made it 20 years and raising teenage boys, we're up to teenage years, and, 
and they love the Lord and are following Jesus and don't hate us and don't hate the church and don't hate missions and don't hate ministry. And because they want us to be here and desire us to be here to do God's work and because we have pushed through difficult times and doing hard work and hard ministry, planted a church 17 years ago and we started work in Afghanistan instantly before we actually had a public service. We had boots on the ground in the middle of war in Afghanistan, working in hard places. And, and we've sent people, uh, our people, that we shepherd today all over the world. And we try to focus at the same time, serve our people around the world. We run foster care and adoption services for the state of Georgia out of northwest Georgia. And we have plowed through hard things. Our youngest was adopted at the age of two. We fostered him and adopted him. He came traumatized and broke severely. And if you're in the foster and adoptive uh, world, you know that your functionality as a family has to be higher than the dysfunction that comes into your home or it's chaos. And that requires a lot of work. And we've made it through that. We still love each other. We still care about each other. And the mission's still going forward. So I said, that's the exact reason that we need to go and serve the Lord and hopefully be an encouragement to you because God's been gracious to grow us and mature us in our faith and grow us up more into Christ and more together as one flesh. And so we're here as a broke couple that God has been gracious to do great things in and I hope we can be a blessing to you this weekend. So tonight we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 uh, through verse 33. And this is a very important passage for a hundred thousand reasons, but it's significant for us as a couple because it's a passage that was in our wedding. We wrote our wedding and it's, we still use it when we do premarital counseling and marry off a couple. And it's significant because it speaks to the purpose of marriage, what marriage's intent is. And it's absolutely significant for placing it in the right place. So you got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 33. But I, I really want to pop back to, I'm going to read, oh heck, I think I'll just read verse 15 too. Because Paul writes long sentences. And, and I want you to catch verse 21, okay? I want you to catch verse 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission isn't just for your wives. Any man that's not submitted is a rogue male. Men, we are to be submitted to Christ. I say this to the couples when we're marrying them. Ladies, it makes it easier for you to submit in that relationship when you know he's not rogue, but he has the knee bowed to the king of the universe. So men, you have no option on submission, right? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and this is huge, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and see that the wife or see that the wife, see that she respects her husband. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, is not first about marriage. This passage is not about marriage. And this is key that you see this, because if we don't set marriage in its right place, and we miss its intent, we will miss what it will do in us. This passage is not about marriage. This passage is all about Jesus Christ and his redeemed people from all nations called the church. And you know this because if you go back to chapter 1, verse 20 through 22, so let's do it justice. Let's not rip it up out of the passage and isolate it from the rest of the book of Ephesians. Let's set it properly in its place. Now you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, really beginning in verse 20. Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus. By the way, FYI. The entire context of the New Testament is the church. The church is the context of the New Testament. The Gospels are written as Gospel tracts for the missionaries that are sent from the church as they're scattered about the nations to preach the Gospel. Acts is about the work of the Holy Spirit in establishing the church, the kingdom of God through the Gospel. And then you got the letters to the churches, right? And so, and, and so the entire context of the New Testament is the church. And so it, it makes sense that when Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he's identifying who they are in Christ, their identity, and what their mission is, it begins to make sense what he's doing. So in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning verse 20, he's talking about this immeasurable greatness and power that toward us who believe who are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And he says in verse 20 that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. And in chapter 2, verse 11 to 22, and for the sake of time, I won't read all of that, we learn that the Lord Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection, his ascension, has made many into one. In this instance, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, he has made them a holy temple and a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And then Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, we learn that through the church, there is a proclamation of the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And then we come to chapter 5, verse 22 to 33. 
And we learn that this passage isn't about husbands and wives. It is about Jesus Christ and his church. This passage is about God's eternal purpose in Jesus Christ, exalted as head over his church, reconciling separated people into one church, and then through that church proclaiming this good news of his kingdom to the heavenlies and to the world that Jesus is king and his body, his representatives, his living. I mean, you understand the implications of being the body of Christ? We are literally, if you are in Christ, covenanted to a local fellowship, you are the hands and feet, the mission of Jesus epitomized in the flesh. That's holy. That's holy. That's what this passage is about. In fact, this passage is all about marriage fitting inside that larger mission. Jesus reclaiming all things back to himself from the fall, people and nations and all of created order. And so what we have here in this passage is the Bible defining for us, this is huge, marriage's purpose. It tells us what its purpose is. And here's the purpose. Marriage's purpose is to be a living drama. It's a living play. It's a living drama of Jesus and his church. That's awesome. That's absolutely massive. And that has massive implications on my behavior, my wife's behavior, and what we do with our lives on this earth while we are one flesh playing this drama out. It exists to put on display Jesus' love for his church and his church's gracious submission to his intent and his purpose. There's a problem, though. I'm not yet perfected. I still sin. Believe it or not, I can, I'll say this because she's on her way. She still sins. You sin. I sin, we all still sin. And here's the beautiful, glorious work of the gospel. That Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, upon repentance and faith, exchanges my guilt for his righteousness. Isn't that awesome? And we are made right in God's eyes, in Christ's eyes. And, and, and we are saved, transformed, taken from the kingdom of darkness, placed in the kingdom of his Son. Right? But we also know that we still sin, which is why we need to revisit the gospel and be reminded that he doesn't hold my sin against me. Jesus died to take that away from me. But we also know the reality that we still sin. Therefore, in this living drama of Christ and his church, marriage is one of the Lord's good and gracious instruments given to us to sanctify us, make us more holy, so that we accurately put on display this glorious living drama. And so marriage is this beautiful tool that God has given to put this drama on display and make us more like Jesus. And so therefore tonight, what we're going to look at briefly is marriage as sanctification. Marriage as God's good grace to clean us up, make us more like Jesus, so that this living drama of Christ and His church gets put on display for the world to see. When I was in sixth grade, 
I was getting my first shop class. I don't, they don't do shop class anymore, which is such a bummer, right? And so Mr. Smith made all of us Pepperell Middle School boys come into the shop, and he rolled in the TV on the old metal TV cart, and, and, he, and, uh, and he put in, and this was, this was pretty wild, right? Because, uh, because he, he, I don't even remember the instrument, because we used to have the film strips, and I don't even know how they played movies because I'm so DVD'd and now digital. I can't even remember how the thing played. I just remember him rolling the TV. It was a big deal to watch TV in sixth grade back in those days. And so Mr. Smith rolled the TV in and this little grainy color cartoon came on called Primitive Pete. And Primitive Pete is a little cartoon about a caveman who always uses the wrong tools. And Primitive Pete may use a screwdriver as a chisel. He may use a wrench as a hammer. And inevitably, Primitive Pete gets hurt. Point of the video is when you walk into Mr. Smith's shop class, use the right tool for the right thing. So that we didn't cut off fingers, burn ourselves with weld, uh, a gas settling torch, or kill ourselves with an arc welder, or do some all manner of crazy things that boys have a tendency to do. And one of the things I brought away from Primitive Pete into my life today is that if I don't use things the way God intended them to be used, I miss the intent, I miss the good, and the benefit never comes my way, and I don't get God's good purpose out of it. When we come to marriage and we put it in a place it doesn't belong, we will not get the ultimate benefit. We'll use marriage like Primitive Pete uses a screwdriver. And inevitably, we're going to hurt ourselves, hurt our wife, our wife's going to hurt our husbands, and we won't put on display Jesus Christ and His church. If we make marriage about fulfilling each other, we're going to miss the intent. My wife does not fulfill me, I do not fulfill her, in spite of what Jerry Maguire says, right? We don't complete each other. I can only be completed in Christ, right? So if we make marriage about completing each other, we're going to miss sanctification and we're not going to be the drama lived out in front of the world to put on display Jesus so that when they hear the gospel, they've got a living example in front of their eyes, right? So it's not about completing each other. Marriage is about putting on display Jesus Christ and His love for His church. So when we begin to understand that, then we start to move ourselves in a powerful place to fulfill an eternal purpose. And that puts us in a place that's awesome and powerful and ultimately fulfilling. So ask this question, how does marriage, understood as Jesus intended, sanctify us? How does it pull that off? How does it make us more like Christ? Well, i got four ways. Number one, marriage understood the way Jesus intended, and that is for us to be Christ and His church causes husbands and wives to submit to Jesus' intent for their marriage. It causes us to think through, understand, and submit to that intent. Meaning our delight in marriage is, is found in fulfilling its intent. Non-Christians get married, and you know they have great marriages. We have non-Christians in our town, and they visit our church, and we get to know them. And they have fantastic marriages. In fact, there are non-Christians who have better marriages, practically, than some Christians. But what their marriage doesn't do is grow them up into Christ. 
What their marriage doesn't do is put on display for the world Christ's love for his church because they're not fulfilling its intent to put on display Christ's love for his church. In fact, one degree off of due north is no longer due north. It's off point. As a matter of fact, if you're one degree off, and you circle the globe one degree off, you'll be roughly 400 plus miles off of your intended course. Marriage off point does not achieve the purpose. Marriage off point may achieve a lot of good things. God gave us marriage as one of His great instruments in the world to restrain evil, provide order to society, but it won't grow people up into Christ. We as Christians understand from God's Word we have marriage that will do these many fantastic things, but not lined up with Jesus' intent, will not do the primary thing, and that is display Jesus Christ and His church. Number two, it causes us to live together and to live lives together that fulfill our individual purposes in the drama. So it makes us submit to the intent. So we have to, and we're going to get some application points in a second. So hang tight with me. But it causes us to live lives that fulfill our purpose in the drama. If we're going to have Christian marriages, we can't just do whatever we want. I can't just do whatever I want. I don't have the liberty as a Christian, and we're going to have a Christian marriage. I can't just do anything I want to do. In fact, verse 21 to 24 tells me what I'm supposed to do. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. To have a Christian marriage, husbands, we have to set our course and our family's course toward God's eternal purpose. We have to set our heading toward God's eternal purpose in the Great Commission. The purpose of this passage is to show us Jesus Christ's love for His church all the way back to chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Those passages I just showed you, Jesus is putting on display who He is for the world to see. Husbands, if we're going to fulfill our purpose, we have to set our heading toward Jesus' intent that His fame, His name, His glory would be put on display for the entire world world to see meaning men if we're going to have a christian marriage we have to have the nations as our end we have to look out there and say how are we as a family covenanted with a local church going to make sure that we participate in seeing jesus worshiped among all the nations that's the end men that's where we're going that's why he gave us marriage and so it causes us to think about what we're going to do in regard to that mission. As Jesus did, as we play the role of putting on display Christ, as Jesus did, and by the way, didn't just did, He rose, He's alive, and He is ruling right now at the right hand of the Father, we do as He does. John 5, 19, Jesus said this amazing thing. I don't act on my own authority. I do what the Father does, and I say what He tells me to say. Jesus was submitted to the Father. The Spirit is submitted to the Son. He tells us that we are living examples of His love for, His care for His church. So as Jesus did and does, men, we are to do likewise. 
It's a great story. Um, you guys ever heard of Perspectives on the World Christian Movement? As a course, you guys are familiar with that course. We run that course in Rome, Georgia, in partnership with a couple other churches. We've been doing it for a while. It's a course you can take for master's credit, you can take it for graduate uh, or uh, undergraduate credit, or just audit the course. And during the cultural perspective, we talk about the cultural work of the global work of the gospel. There's a fantastic story that a man who worked in the South Pacific in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s likes to tell about a South Pacific tribe of people that the gospel began to birth among. And in this culture, they thought women, all women, had demons in them, and so they slept in separate quarters in their huts. And because their women had demons in them in their thinking, they had to work the demons out of their women. So during the day, the men sat under the shade trees and they made their wives work the fields. Well, as the gospel began to have its work and breaking cold, dead hearts up and taking out cold, dead hearts and putting in new hearts and putting in His Spirit and causing them to walk in His way, this person working among them was very careful not to tell them what to do, but let the Bible begin to instruct them on what to do. And as those men started having this passage particularly translated into their language, and they would read this passage, they began to be convicted about how they were treating their wives. And one day, this one man, this one brave soul, decided he was going to do what was right. His wife was ill, she wasn't feeling good, and he was making her go out and work anyway. And he was sitting under the shade and he got up from his shady tree and he went and brought his wife to the shade and sat her down and he went and worked in her place. And all of his friends made fun of him. What are you doing acting like a woman? What's your deal? And his response to them is, Jesus loves me and he gave himself up for me and I'm supposed to be like Jesus and so I'm gonna, I want my wife to be okay. And so I want her to rest and I will go in her place. As Jesus did and does, men, we are to do. It causes us to think about our purpose in the drama. Wives, their purpose in the drama, ladies, your purpose in the drama is to help your husbands execute that purpose. We set the course. Wives, you come alongside of us, not underneath us, not over us, beside us. The Lord took Eve out of the side of Adam, not underneath him, not above him, out of his side. And you come beside us and together we walk as a living drama toward Jesus' fame among nations. This has a million implications. And we only have a short amount of time so we can't do all of them. But it makes us think about vocation. It makes us think about raising kids to be on that mission. It makes us think about how we prepare our kids to engage other people non-Christians. As the church takes on Jesus' mission as His body, so the wife takes on Jesus' mission moving the family unit to those ends. The church is given the mission of Jesus. Wives, you have the mission of Jesus with us and we are to together move in that end. And I want to say this, this is infinitely hard where we live. Following Jesus' mission has to compete with 10,000 inferior, less than pursuits 
that compete for our time and attention and will actually dull our sense of what we're here to do. And that is obey Jesus together on His mission to be a living drama of Christ and His church so that the world may see a living example so that they may hear the gospel, they may repent and believe. There are a million things. I said thousands. There are millions of things that will compete for our attention on that and dull our sense of obedience. So third, it causes us to love like Jesus loves. It causes us to love like Jesus loves. Verse 25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I want to say this very quickly. Um, I recognize the wife is never explicitly told to love her husband in this passage. It says she used to respect him. But good rule of biblical interpretation is let Bible interpret Bible. Let Scripture interpret Scripture, right? This little book called 1 John tells us that God is love. And if you don't love, you're not born of Jesus. And he's speaking to everybody. So ladies, you get the love too. All right? Men, you get the love. Ladies, you get the love. And we're going we're gonna to say that. That's going to be the fourth point. So hang tight. All right? So it causes both of us, husbands and wives, to love like Jesus. Tim Keller says, we don't fall into love. We commit to it. It's saying, I will be there no matter what. Love is not emotive first. Emotion comes after. Emotion is the result of a commitment to be like Jesus. A commitment to imitate Christ. It's a commitment to doing what needs to be done. It's saying I'm going to be there no matter what. Sickness, health, I'm going to be here until death parts us. Love transcends a feeling. It's a commitment based on the very nature of God who does not abandon His people. <laughs> he does not abandon His people. Jesus went to the cross. He died in my place for my sin. He was buried. He rose. He ascended to the Father. He sent His Holy Spirit. And this powerful gospel takes me from darkness to life. He gives me all of Himself. And He will not abandon me or you. And that's our example. So love says, be like that. Be like that. Be committed. Love is for both of us. These guys have a graphic I'm going to put up here, and hopefully this will spur some conversation for you. And we'll talk about this a little bit tomorrow morning. Jennifer will unpack it just a tad. And it's a graphic that shows marital satisfaction through the stages of life. If you notice here on the front end, Marital satisfaction tends to be high. And I remember when Jennifer and I were doing premarital counseling in Fort Worth, Texas, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We were going through this. She has a master's degree in marriage and family counseling. And so because she's in the department, we got free premarital counseling. That was awesome. And I remember going through this with our counselor and then unpacking it later over some fantastic Mexican food in Fort Worth, Texas at the taco truck. And saying this to her, that chart is a lie. I love you so much, I can't believe it. It blows my mind. I cannot even imagine that we're ever going to bottom out at any point in being satisfied with each other. Baby, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm never going to be dissatisfied with you. Well, 
Child number one. Nah, not so bad. It's okay. Child number two. And then one day you're in the mall. And for the thousandth time they've done what you told them not to do. And you lose your cool for the first time in public and you yell at your kid. And instantly your cool factor has just dissipated. It's gone. It's forever gone. And the next thing you know, the next thing you know, guys, you're wearing socks and flip-flops in public at the mall, sitting on the bench, staring into space, praying for death. And, and if you notice, that's stage four, families with school-age children. Because they lose their lunchbox. They lose their notebooks. They make F's on homework. That you just got to turn in a blank page with your name on it and you get an A. And they can't do that. And you are no longer cool. You wear funny clothes. You can't hear. You can't see. And you're looking over at your wife. Your wife's looking at you and going, Who are you? Where did you come from? I don't like you anymore. What are you here for? What are you doing? And I remember hitting that point going, that chart was right. <laughs> it was right. It was dead on. You hit those moments in that childbearing stage, and the good news for us is we're at stage five. We're starting to climb a little bit. We've rediscovered each other. It's awesome. It's like, hey, I remember you. Because you know what? Like, we're able to leave them alone. Have been for a few years. We get to go places and not have to worry about them. Stay overnight. And it's like, I remember you at the taco truck. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're all right. And so you start climbing back up. But here's the thing. A lot of couples at this low point is when they start bailing. Because how they're feeling at the moment is not what they felt at the beginning. Love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. It's saying, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be like Jesus, come what may. Even if I'm wearing tube socks and flip-flops, you're going to love me. By the way, that's pretty secure when you know you can wear tube socks and flip-flops and still be loved. That's a good place to be. Be confident in that love at that, at that moment. Marital satisfaction is going to wane over the lifespan of a marriage. Love won't always feel lovey. You know, most of us in this room, we used to be cool. We're not cool anymore because kids happen to us. But the good news is that Christ and this living drama of Christ and His church and Him working sanctification in us causes us to push through these seasons and see to the end because we recognize that this thing is not about fulfilling each other. It's about this living drama of Christ and His church. And it allows us to push through and get to the end. And here's the good news. Here's the really good news. Even in the middle of those difficult seasons, with Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit and the powerful kingdom of God, you can still love each other in the middle of those hard seasons. So I want to say to you, if you're in the middle of one of those hard seasons, keep pushing, keep grinding. It will come to an end, but don't bail. Do not bail. Stay the course. Men, if we're to be Jesus, we love unconditionally. Wives, if you are going to be like the church, you love unconditionally. 
and we push through these seasons. And we can do that when we recognize our intent and our purpose. Because if it's just about fulfilling each other, when we stop fulfilling each other, might as well quit. But if it's about Jesus and his church, I'm I'm in it. I'm in it to win it, so let's go, right? And you will get to the end. Finally, it causes us to be other-centric. Verse 28 to 33 here tells us, Husbands love their wives as their own bodies. Verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, right? But nourishes and cherishes it. Well, there's so much in this passage that we just have to kind of give it, as we say in Romans, Lord, we give it a lick and a promise. So we're, and he does this because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother, holds fast to his wife. They become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one love uh, his wife as himself and see that the wife respects her husband. It causes us to be other-centric, admiring the other, which is respect. It causes us to admire and honor each other, which is respect. Others first is correct. We used to say to the boys and they're little, getting dinner, me first is me last. So you got three boys and food on the counter, it's on. And, and, and it's like a mad rush. And then there's a fight because you took my chicken. You got more than you're supposed to get. And next thing you know, punches are being thrown. And you're having to separate hungry animals. So we say, me first is me last. Others first is correct. It's biblical. That's not how the world system does it. And so because we still sin, we have a tendency to look at the other and maybe not honor and respect their difference. My wife and I couldn't be more different. We, she said this to me one time, and I still hold it over her head. Um, her gifts are not my gifts. My gifts are not her gifts. I'm the kite, and she's the string. And depending on the day, it just depends on how you interpret that. I'm like, baby, I'm trying to fly high, and you're just holding me down. And she's like, I'm keeping you from flying off. And and there's this tension there between the kite and the string. And I want to look at the string and go, all you do is restrain good stuff. Leave me alone. And the string's going, all you want to do is fly off, which makes you no good. There needs to be some order around you. You're nothing but chaos. To respect and honor, to be other-centered, makes us look at and respect how God put our wife or our husband together. I believe that God is absolutely sovereign over all things. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision from the Lord. The Lord gave you your spouse. Alright? Which means the Lord knows I need some strain. Because if I didn't have strain, I'd be an absolute mess. And rather than fighting against the string, there's this glorious tension in making each other better. And so therefore, He sanctifies us by teaching us to admire and respect the other. This respect, this deep admiration for them, it's elicited because of their abilities, qualities, and achievements. Stop fighting against each other and live in the tension God's put together there that causes you to be your best together to put on display Jesus and His church. So I'm going to give you a few applications here, okay? These are things you can ask yourselves along the way this weekend and as you go away from this weekend. Ask each other if you understand 
your clear intent to marriage beyond each other? Do you have a purpose statement? I'm not saying you should write a purpose statement for yourself and your marriage. That might be a little cheesy and dumb. But do you understand the, the intent of your marriage being Jesus and his church put on display for the world to see a picture of the gospel? Do you have that somehow verbalized? Do you have that somehow worked out tactically in your life? Do you understand how that mission together is to play out where you are in your family? If you don't, how do you begin to make sense of Jesus' mission to the world, your role, and how that plays out in your family together? Now, I want you to hear something very carefully. I'm not saying that everybody in this room needs to go become professional missionaries. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that marriage is given as a drama, living drama, to put on display Jesus Christ and His church, and Jesus' mission is the world, the church is His body, in mission to the world, and that means that in a local fellowship, we are covenanted with that fellowship, and that fellowship should be on mission to the world. If it's not, it's not fulfilling its purpose. And if it's on mission to the world, you as a couple need to decide the role you play in that fellowship and serving that mission to the world. There are people in our church who've never gotten on a plane, and they have never been over the ocean and been to a hard place. But there are people in our church who are serving a couple that I just married about two years ago who's living in a country where they just got dinghy fever. Dinghy, I don't even know if it's dinghy. That's dinghy, and I think Mel and the diner. And, and the show, Alice, you guys remember, dingy, ding, ding, ding. And, but it, dingy, D-E-N-G-E, whatever that fear is, deadly. And this young couple who's living and working in this hard place is struggling hard. And they're our members, they're our people, they're doing the work. And the person serving them has never been overseas. But they are the lifeline to those people. And they are serving the world by serving our people around the world. And they know their intent to serve. So do you understand my point? So what is your role as a couple to serve in Jesus' mission around the world? And then how do you wrap your family around that so that everybody is marching together toward Jesus' clear intent? Husbands, is the bent of your family toward disciple-making through your local church with an open hand on how that gets worked out locally and globally? The Jolly's household is bent around making sure Jesus' fame goes global. Because of the position I happen to have by God's grace and what we do, I have made sure from the time my kids came out of the womb to this day are plugged in to the world. My wife even put, when they were little, she had wallpaper put on the wall, and it's a map of the world. And it's one you can write on. So when I'm somewhere around the world and they were little, they would go and put a mark where I happen to be. And she began to tell them stories about that part of the world so their little imaginations would wonder and begin to say, I want to go there too. So that when my oldest was at the right age, I took him to Turkey with me because we have a couple living there. It's from our fellowship that I married about 13 years ago. I discipled him as a high school kid. Came to faith in the Lord, married, got married in college, and they have now been there for over, uh, yeah, it's been a while, over 13, uh, 12 years-ish. And so we went to do some pastoral care and ministry, and I took my son with me. And guess what? We got caught in the coup. And he got to taste what it's like to have ordinance exploding outside your door. He got a taste of what it's like to live life in difficult places. 
because that's how we raised him to think that way. Our life is bent around making sure we are on Jesus' mission together and that we understand that together and that's what we're going to do together. Husbands, is that the bent of your family? Again, it doesn't mean you have to sell out to go to the world, but it means your family's life is bent around Jesus' intent to put on display Christ and his church. And what is your role in that? And you've got to ask that question. You have to ask that question. That's the point. That's the purpose. The Great Commission is not just given to special forces Christians. It's given to the church. And we are members of the church, meaning we all have a role. And we've got to seek the Lord and his intent and purpose in our families to fulfill that. Does that make sense? That's what the marriage is supposed to do. Third, wives, do you line your daily work up? Do you, lie, do you line your daily home actions up with a clear vision for Jesus' mission with your husband? My wife is excellent at managing finances to make them line up with the intent to mobilize ourselves to do great work. She's designed their lives to make sure their vocations can be understood so that they're not wasting time accumulating debt but they are on point and on mission to get their vocation squared away and education squared away so they can get about their vocations and be service and service around the world and in their city. And I'm proud of how she works hard to make that happen. And I'll say this to you mamas, don't compare yourselves to each other. My wife's gifts are not your gifts. Your gifts aren't hers. Your gifts aren't the person's next to you and the person's next to you aren't theirs. Don't compare yourselves to each other. Be who God's made you to be on mission with your husband, doing what God's called you to do in your local church, moving with your family toward the intent of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And then finally, and this is it, and I'm going to be done. What's your stage in life? Where are you at? Are you fully committed to plowing through to the end? Recognize that stages are timed. They're timed. That child-rearing phase, glory to God, it will end. It will end. Don't quit. Recognize where you are and realize there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train. It's okay. So bear down. Love each other and push through. Don't bail. Be sober-minded. If you're young and at this marriage conference, you've been married just a couple years and thinking it's not going to happen, it will. It's coming. And so there was nothing like being prepared for us so that we got to that point where like, you know, we, we knew. We knew. And now you know. And as G.I. Joe used to say, no one's half the battle. And when you know, you can get there and push through. If you're in the middle of it, recognize it will come to an end. And if you're on the backside enjoying life, I want to say this to you. You are perhaps the most mobile, well-equipped, well-funded resource the world has ever seen for Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Don't bail on the work of the kingdom now. Press in. We need you to teach us what to do when we get there. We're counting on you to teach us what to do. So don't quit. Press in together and provide some godly examples for us to come along behind and imitate. 
So I say to us, let's make sure that we stay on Jesus' intent to live out in this living drama Jesus Christ and His church so that the world can see a living picture so when they hear the good news of the kingdom, they have the movie in front of them and somehow the Holy Spirit works in that to bring about repentance and faith. And what a glorious thing that is. What a good purpose for our marriages, right? So how about let's pray and worship together. Father, we, we ask that in Jesus' name you would help us to, um, to f- fulfill this good intent. Lord, I thank you, uh, for, thank you for your word that is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Help us to hide it deep in our hearts that we would not sin against you by walking away. So Lord, I pray that you drive deep into our souls that uh, what you have said to us in your word about the intent for marriage. And I pray, God, that you would work that out in all of our lives. Lord, there's, there's a lot of places in this planet that's covered in darkness and waiting for light. And so Lord, I pray that you would mobilize your church through our marriages to be light to the nation. So Lord, help us to see that intent, to live it out here in all the miraculous ways you take it there. So Lord, let it happen in us right here this weekend. Give us intent, give us mission, give us strategy, give us tactics. Holy Spirit, work in us to work all that out just exactly the way you want each of our individual marriages to do it. Not only are you able, we believe you want to do that. So help us to see it and achieve it this weekend, we pray in Jesus' name.